on the existence of day and night. Copernicus had evolved another theory, which he also explains in his treatise on the revolution of the celestial spheres, that if a body is to revolve round another, the first one must have a spherical shape and rotate about its axis in the manner of a spinning top. Consequently, in order to make this notion fit in with the movement of the earth round the sun which he had devised in order to explain the seasons, he suddenly decreed that the earth was round, contrary to the general opinion at the time, and then proclaimed that IT had a movement of rotation about its axis. The great inconvenience in this proposition is that the rotation of the earth cannot be seen to exist, either with regard to the position of the sun or clouds during the day, or of the moon and other planets by night. On the other hand, the fact of the immobility of the earth has an immense advantage over the theory of the rotation in that IT can positively be recognized as such, and IT can safely be said that if the earth cannot be seen to move, there are hundred chances in a hundred that IT does not do so. The theory of the rotation of the earth, however, may once for all be definitely disposed of as impracticable by pointing out the following inadvertence. It is said that the rotation takes 24 hours, and that its speed is uniform, in which case, necessarily, days and nights should have an identical duration of 12 hours each all the year round. The sun should invariably rise in the morning and set in the evening at the same hours, with the result that it would be the equinox every day from THE1ST of January to the 31st of December. One should stop and reflect on this before saying that the earth has a movement of rotation. How does the system of gravitation account for the seasonal variations in the lengths of days and nights if the earth rotates at a uniform speed in 24 hours? At all events, we have previously seen that there is no such movement as the revolution of the earth round the sun, and as the rotation was its sine qua non, IT automatically fails at the same time. There is also reciprocal invalidity, if the rotation is manifestly impossible as demonstrated above, the translation which was uniquely derived from this movement, becomes void. Further, if flying had been invented at the time of Copernicus, there is no doubt that he would have soon realized that his contention regarding the rotation of the earth was wrong on account of the relation existing between the speed of an aircraft and that of the earth's rotation. The distance covered by an aircraft would be reduced or increased by the speed. On the fact that the earth does not rotate of the rotation according to whether such aircraft traveled in the same direction, or against IT. Thus, if the earth rotates, as it is said, at 1000 kilometers an hour, and a plane flies in the same direction at only 500 kilometers, it is obvious that its place of destination will be farther removed every minute. On the other hand, if flying took place in the direction opposite to that of the rotation, a distance of 1,500 kilometers would be covered in one hour, instead of 500, since the speed of the rotation is to be added to that of the plane. IT could also be pointed out that such a flying speed of 1,000 kilometers an hour, which is supposed to be that of the Earth's rotation, has recently been achieved, so that an aircraft flying at this rate in the same direction as that of the rotation could not cover any ground at all. It would remain suspended in midair over the spot from which IT took off, since both speeds are equal. There would, in addition, be no need to fly from one place to another situated on the same latitude. The aircraft could just rise and wait for the desired country to arrive in the ordinary course of the rotation, and then land, although it is difficult to see how any plane can manage to touch ground at all on an airfield which is slipping away at the rate of 1,000 km an hour. IT might certainly be useful to know what people WHO fly think of the rotation of the earth. IT could also be said that if the earth DID rotate, such motion, as in the case of its assumed revolution round the sun, would create in all directions apparent, 
fast and erratic movements of the planets and constellations, whereas, in fact, the movements ruling in the heavens are extremely slow and perfectly orderly, and notwithstanding the artless explanation that has been offered that everything goes so fast that nothing can be seen to move at all. IT has also been endeavored to explain day and night, probably by way of giving an opportune and additional utility to the rotation, apart from its indispensable role in the assumed revolution round the sun, by the fact that the two halves of the earth are alternately exposed to the rays of the sun in 24 hours. But day and night do not result from a play of light and shade caused by a turn of the earth. As IT can be realized by anyone, daylight is produced by the arrival and passage of the sun and night by the disappearance of the latter. It is daylight when the sun rises, and night when IT sets. There is no need at all for the earth to revolve in order to create these facts of nature, the cause of which is evident and sufficient unto itself. A factor, however, other than the presence and absence of the sun, might be taken into account in the alternation of day and night. It is known that the ancients insisted on the fact that day was caused by a luminous vapor and night by an opaque sort of fog, but this explanation is not satisfactory as far as night is concerned as the stars would not be visible, or at least, they would be obscured. What may be assumed, in reality, is the presence of a warm cosmic breath during the day, and of a cold one during the night, to correspond respectively to the warm breath of the summer and the cold breath of the winter as, no doubt, day and night are on a small scale with the two main divisions of the year are on a large one. There is, moreover, a noticeable increase of temperature after midday, which points to the existence of a breath in its phase of expiration. The passage of this on the fact t that the earth does not rotate 13 breath of day would begin in the early morning at dawn, the usual pause between inspiration and expiration taking place about midday, and we have, in this connection, the infallible test of the behavior of man, WHO by reflex action, stops work at this moment for a time. The passage of the warm day breath would, then, end at dusk upon the arrival of the cold night breath stream. IT might be considered that the breath of day has a certain luminosity in view of the fact that it is daylight long before sunrise, and also that the light persists after sunset, as well as during total eclipses of the sun. IT can be seen from photographs taken during such eclipses that the details of the landscape, buildings and objects remain visible, so that the presence of a luminous factor not dependent on the sun, but provided by the breath of day can be assumed. The cold breath of night would, inversely, flow from nightfall to dawn with the usual interval some time after midnight. There is a sharp drop of temperature about this hour, which corresponds to the increased intensity of the cold night breath and its breathing out phase. There is an opposition in the circulation of the day and night breaths round the world, so that when one is north of the equator, the other is south of the equator, and vice versa. The day and night breaths are certainly connected with, and influenced by the greater breaths of summer and winter, and it is, therefore, their combined actions which regulate the height of the sun and the hours of its rising and setting, but not directly, as said before, but through intermediate circumstances which are explained later on. As to the origin of these breath streams, IT may only be surmised that they emanate from living cosmic centers possessing the organic function of respiration, and that they are situated in some distant regions outside our immediate universe. It is also possible that there may be a connection between the V to the power of our INDS and these cosmic breaths. There are winds which prevail regularly during certain seasons of the year and which, under the circumstances, might correspond to the semi-yearly breaths of summer and winter. Further, high-flying American airmen have reported the existence of a vast, high-altitude current of air, 6 miles deep and 300 miles wide, 
circling at a fantastic speed round the northern hemisphere, and from Australia similar reports indicate the presence of a corresponding high-velocity air stream south of the equator. There might be an analogy between these recently discovered air currents, and the semi-annual cosmic breath streams. As to the breath of day, IT might have a connection with the lesser winds which rise in the morning and drop in the evening. It would also appear that the breath streams are accompanied by vibrations or cosmic pulsations, the breaths of day and night, by 12 pulsations each, which are the hours, and the semi-annual breaths of summer and winter, by 6 great pulsations each, of a duration of 30 days. These are the months. IT could be added that it is probably the regular and constant flow of these cosmic breaths which constitutes the passage of time.